when I was at Microsoft, there was this person named Ray Ozzie, who's kind of like the architect of Azure and, and the whole sort of yeah. cloud strategy. And when I was there, I was on a product that I was at OneDrive and Live Mesh and all these different products and, and interacted with, with Ray's team. Um, and then, you know, as Mattermost is kind of starting out, we're trying to figure out like what to do. We're like, oh, Ray Ozzie also was the creator of Lotus Notes, right? So he knows the collaboration space. He knows the software space. So I wrote Ray a note. I'm like, hey, I've kind of got this project called Mattermost. And it's in collaboration. And I'm wondering if you had some time to, to get your advice. And then he wrote back and he was like, well, not only have I heard of Mattermost, um, I've actually read through your code base because I was trying to figure out if Golang was a thing and if I should use it. And, you know, wow. based on your code base, I thought I should. And I'm like, wow, exactly. Right. It's like, that's probably, you know, one of the, the, the most, like, this is Corey said, it's like this unexpected, you know, all these things you don't expect when you go open source, right? Like the, the people that you can influence without even knowing it. Did you know Skillsoft is integrating Codecademy content, which offers interactive, hands-on practice environments in 14 programming languages, into its learning experience platform, Precipio? Visit skillsoft.com slash blog to start coding in seconds. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast. I am your host, Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined, as I often am, by my wonderful co-host, Cassidy Williams. Hello. Hi, Cassidy. Uh, you had to change your glasses. I have only this one pair of glasses. And uh, my, as you know, my face ID only recognizes me if I'm wearing them. So I can't take them off. Oh, no. Yeah. No, I, these are like my very blue light blocking glasses. Mm, and so mm -hmm. I typically try not to wear them if we're recording video because you can see me not paying exactly. attention to meetings. Ah, I see. <laughs> yes, I can see you slacking off on yeah. Slack. Um, we have two great guests today, Ian and Corey from Mattermost. So I'm going to throw it over to them to introduce themselves. Welcome both to the show. Ian, why don't we start with you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, we often ask guests to date themselves a little. What was your first computer? How'd you get into programming? And uh, give us that you know, 10,000 foot flyover of how you got to where you are today. Got it. So my, uh, my name is Ian Tan. I'm CEO and co-founder of Mattermost. My first computer at home was a Commodore 64. Uh, my favorite game there was bowling on, on that had to be loaded on multiple uh, floppy disks, uh -huh. um, like the five and a quarter. Did you know that Gen Z doesn't know what a disk or a file folder is? I'm unfamiliar with the concept. Oh, yeah. There's like, I think I used to be in video games and there was like a save button that was like a floppy disk yeah. and people didn't know. People just associated that with save, right. but not like what it actually came from. It's just yeah. an icon that means save now. Uh. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like if you had these um, old Solaris machines and you had like the little taskbar that had little neural on it that was like, ref like you know, what metal used to be. And mm. like that neural was this affordance to like move the taskbar up and down. All these things are kind of lost in the sands of time. Yeah, so <laughs> feeling quite dated right now. That's what we do at the second. We try to make people feel old right off the bat. That's our main goal here on the podcast. Um, no, but please continue. I learned how to program in, in grade school, and I, I'm from Toronto, Canada, uh, or actually suburban Toronto, Canada, and um, in the wintertime, you come with jackets, and you be really careful because the static electricity on your jackets could, oh. like, blow up the whole computer lab. So, like, <laughs> people would walk into the computer lab, and everyone turn around, it's like, touch metal, touch metal. Right. Yeah, where's the clean room before you get in there? Yeah, it just, it just, there's a lot of stack electricity. I think there were like 286 or 386 machines, um, but we had color and that's, that's well, no, actually at home I didn't, but 
you know, those were the days. Yeah, 386 DX was my first big PC. There's a funny story from uh, about Grace Hopper, you know, the the famous older programmer. And uh, way back in the day, she wanted to take a day off from this computer lab that she worked in. And so she went to a joke shop and got a bunch of bugs, like like just fake bugs. And she put all the fake bugs in their big computer and they were just like, oh, what's this? And they vacuumed out the computer, but that messed up the static in the gigantic computer system. And so the entire <laughs> research group got like two weeks off instead. Nice. <laughs> so that's awesome that you had programming in grade school. I, that's not something that's very common. Um, did you then take that all the way through academia? Um, I was under duress. So I actually wanted to go to school. For, I wanted to go to university for film. And my dad's like, no, you're going to be an engineer. <laughs> Because you need a job and like, I don't want you to like be home after college. So that's my journey to computer engineering. Now you can afford to produce your own independent films. So jokes on him. Yeah. He's like, all right, it it is is like now acceptable. So yeah, it's it's (laughs) like you had a, I couldn't decide what I wanted to do until I was past like grad school. Right. Like that was, they're sort of like, okay, now you're an adult. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And Corey, how about you? What was your journey into the world of software? Uh, for me, my, my first computer was an Apple IIe, and I used to actually buy the magazines. Didn't know what I was doing, but type in all the code. And wow. Got to make something run. Um, I was a little kid, um, and that was always really fun. But I, I think for me, it probably really started with my uncle. So my uncle was in this in this industry, and this is, I don't know, really dating myself more, but mid-80s, he showed up with this, like, brand new Corvette, like one of those old school 80s fiberglass Corvettes. Nice. I was like, that's what I want it's like be. this guy works at Sun Microsystems. <laughs> so, so it was, uh, yeah, that was my first introduction to it. So, uh, and ever since then, I just kind of, yeah, stayed around it, in it with the college for it, that kind of stuff. So. Sweet. And how did the two of you uh, meet and, and sort of come together in this organization that you work at now, Mattermost? Microsoft was my first job out of college, and Corey was there, and we got on sort of the same team. Um, and I was in program management, and Corey was, was in engineering. And then the um, the sort of the person that was managing me like four months after I joined like left the group, so like four months out of college I had to like you know lead the group and I remember like <laughs> people were like, oh gosh, we're doomed, <laughs> like this this group is over, <laughs> and uh, and I was trying to do what I can. I mean I was a user interface designer, so I, I worked at you know um, in college I went to Waterloo, so I had a lot of co ops. I worked at you know Trilogy, which was this Austin Texas enterprise mm-hmm. company. I worked at E Trade. I worked at a startup over in Washington, D.C. area. So I learned how to do interface design. That was like my shtick. So I was a front-end developer, and then I just did U.S. interfaces because I was faster at that. And and Corey, when we started, he's just like, just make the screens. Like, we'll do the rest. Just like, make the screens. Uh, and and <laughs> and shockingly, like, it worked. Um, and uh, every time there was like a new headcount open, we had to decide whether it was going to be an engineer or like a program manager and since I was so junior, I always wanted to make it an engineer, uh, so I could I could keep my job. And we ended up with like ten engineers, and I was just trying to make <laughs> as many UIs as I possibly can. Um, and over like, and we were were the Microsoft Office Business Scorecard Manager two thousand five. Uh, that was our product. Sweet. Oh man, uh, nice. Business yeah. scorecard and it manager. Was, uh, mm. Oh, it was CD-ROM? it was crazy. It was it's, it definitely had its own CD ROM. But the problem was it was built on top of SharePoint and the and the actual executable is only 25 megs. And we're charging $25,000 per server. And I can't remember what the client access licenses were, but like we'd actually get complaints mm. about like, how come we're paying so much for 25 megs? And I'm like, Corey, what can we do to inflate the installer? 
Like, can we add like graphics? A thousand dollars a meg seems fair. So Corey, when you were at Microsoft, were you just like, who's this Ian guy? Or, or did you get on right away? <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I think we did. Like I said, I think we were both young, um, excited to be there um, and uh, excited about, you know, terraforming new product and stuff like that. And it was just, it was just an overall really fun experience. And like I said, I think we built a great sort of relationship there. I mean, a lot of us, you know, it's kind of funny. What is it? Two two other people who used to work with three, three other people who used to work before us in that team work work at our company. Wow. Now. So, <laughs> um, and so it's uh, yeah. So it was, I think it was just the really strong bonds were formed back then, and then and, yeah, and, uh, yeah. It's been a great relationship ever since. So that's we've always so cool. kept in touch. We kind of grew apart for a while, but we've always kept in touch. Right. So did you go straight from Microsoft to Mattermost, or did you kind of have adventures in between? No, we both had adventures in between. So um, <laughs> I, I co-founded another company called Tempo AI. Um, I always like to tell a joke. You know, uh, it was a you know we spun out of Stanford Research Institute um, using the same intellectual property, um, the same venture licensing program, the same source code as a little tiny company that spun out of there, um, a little tiny company called Siri that sold mm. Apple. Oh, I've heard of that. Them. We, <laughs> we spun out and sold ourselves to Salesforce for a lot, like very, very minor success for a lot, a lot mm. less. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, so I went through that experience. That was by what I was doing previously to here. So, yeah. Cool. What, what about you, Ian? What, what did you do in between Microsoft and Mattermost? Um, so I stayed at Microsoft a little longer than Corey. I moved from engineering over to product management. And I did, I, you know, Outlook.com and OneDrive were sort of, you know, I, I was running those for a little bit. Um, went to B school because I was like, I want to, uh, I want to do something on my own. But I, you can't leave Microsoft and, and do that directly. You don't have any like it, it's it's a hard transition. So took a took B school to kind of like in, in the valley to kind of like understand how all this stuff worked. And then uh, and then I tr- and then I tried a whole bunch of ideas while I was back in school. And the one that started working was uh, doing video games. So uh, we had an HTML5 uh, game engine back in 2011. That was, you know, is basically like uh, like Adobe Flash and JavaScript uh, on 2D Canvas, and uh, and we found out, unfortunately, that like that's not a thing. Like it's a technology, but there's no business model behind it, mm. um, other than like selling it and licensing it. You just, you just can't do anything, right? Um, but the prototypes that we'd made to play games, like they were actually making money. So we kind of became accidentally a game studio. Um, and then we ran that for about three or four years and sort of by accident, we, we kind of discovered this Mattermost opportunity out of an open source project. Um, and then that, that kind of became a thing is like, there was just a lot of market demand for it. And yeah, and here we are. So the, the Mattermost as a company is, is yet another one of those video game companies turned B2B software companies. Nice. Yes. Slack has that story. And uh, the guy who did DeepMind, didn't he make like roller theme park tycoon or something like that? Yeah. I think, um, I think reflective, I think discord, I think, you know, Slack definitely, I think in, in Asia line and Navicorp, um, there's lots of the the thing with uh, video games is that it's kind of like the mothership, right? So it's like, okay, I want to make a free to play game. I need to have like graphics, I need to have an economy, I need to have game rules, I have to do a lot of security with all the people trying to break in, I have to do e-commerce and payments. And we had a chat platform inside the video game. And when you go to B2B, you're like, wait, I don't have to build one of those? Like that's mm. a business. So if if we can hire <laughs> game designers or game people from games, you know, just please, please come to Mattermost. Right. Um because it is it is uh games are so hard. 
and B2B is they really are. just, yeah. And, and B2B is like, games are like all the risk of like a, a, a movie plus all the complexity of like, you know, a B2B SaaS product sort of put together. So yes, yes. Yeah. The narrative arc is important or you're not going to get that fandom going. Um, so let's talk a little bit, obviously both of you, yeah, you know, worked as, as, as developers, as, as managers of developers and then different, you know, wore different hats, to different companies. When you made that pivot from game studio to Mattermost, uh, how did that bring the two of you together? And like, yeah, what was that core squad coming out of the mothership, you know, front end, back end, what language are you working on? You're like, we get that there's demand around this open source project. So we're going to build X. Like, tell us a little bit about that, that origin story there. Yeah, I think, I mean, Corey did all the work. <laughs> and I uh, and I wrote the docs. Like I, I did the UI. And he did all the work. Um, I think. I mean, a couple of thoughts. One is we can talk about like how do we end up at GoLang and sort of like the early, early, you know, primordial pieces. On the, on the functional side, you know, we were using a, an online messaging service before Slack got you know really huge, and then this service got bought by a big company. It was kind of a startup, and then they really neglected the product. It would crash. We would lose data. We were so frustrated, mm-hmm. and. When we tried to leave, they wouldn't let us export. And we stopped paying mm-hmm. our subscription. They paywalled us from our own data. No. And yeah, and it's like, and you're like, oh my gosh, like really? So, right. you know, we, we kind of prototype. Yeah, right. And we, we prototyped a, a kind of our own, own version of it. We're like, we got 10 million hours of, of you know, messaging in our, in our games. Like, let's prototype this. We wrote, wrote it kind of three times. And the third time, um, it, was, it started to work and we could use it. We made the decision to open source it, and it just it just really took off, and it became so clear based on the customers that were adopting and buying us that this was you know an, an extraordinary opportunity, and that was where um, you know it just we kind of all went went all in, and then core maybe on the on the like you know how do we arrive on on the tech stack? We kind of started off in like Python and some other things, and that was an interesting journey. Yeah, we started off in Python, um, and then you know, quickly into that journey, we ended up rewriting it in Go. And this is in 2015, so you know, back then Go I mean, that was early, it was just yeah. starting to get popular. It wasn't like a, a safe choice as it is today. Uh, right. Same thing with React, even more so with React back then. Uh, it was a very un, you know unsafe choice in that sense. But it was just two of the technologies I think we really fell in love with and really loved. Um, for us, the kind of safe choice was our ba- database technology, like kind of like what you know. Echoing what Ian said, we were very frustrated by the data lock-in. So for us, things like data sovereignty were really important. Mm. Um, we decided to sort of leverage just a very plain, you know, MySQL, Postgres, you know, um, um, database in that sense. So nothing special there. But that's kind of how we arrived at the different the different technologies um, at that time. And I think for us, that was probably a large part of our, our at least building open source community side of it, a large part of our success is you know, probably some of the biggest original projects in things like even React Native for our mobile, I think is probably still one of the biggest open source projects around. I think that just attracts a lot of open source developers. Right? Oh, let me check out this new technology. Let me see, let me see the code, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I think that helped, you know, that technology coupling really helped propel us. Kind of like what Ian said, like in the beginning, it was almost like, here it is. It's like, whoa, this response is crazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think we're, at least I wasn't, he might've been, I wasn't expecting that. So, uh, so it was a, it was a fun, crazy ride in the beginning for sure. I love that you have an open source company that is doing so well, because I, I think there's a lot of back and forth right now on like, how can open source get funded? How, how can you make this actually work as a business model? But I feel like if you do it right, it's not only great for your business, but it's great for sales because people can see exactly what they're going to get if they want to look at the code. And it's also just good for recruiting because developers can see 
what code they're going to be dealing with. Yeah, we, we, we I mean, I don't know if this is unfortunately or fortunately, but we hire a lot of people out of our open source community. <laughs> I think um, it's great. And then, you know, they get interested in the code base, they start working in it. And that's, uh, you know, that's for us people we really love to, to go hire. But it, it, at least on that sort of, yeah, hiring open source technology side, um, it's a really, it's a really great win-win. And I, I think even, it's always a harder balance, right? Open source is always hard, right? We just try to be very honest, you know, honest, transparent, and open with our community. Um, and it's a balancing act and it's, you know, sometimes we get it wrong, sometimes we get it right, but uh, we just we just try to be very, you know, open and honest when we do those types of situations. But important question, how many uh, blog posts did you write to your personal blog about the brave decision you made to choose React or go early on that then made it to the front page of Hacker News? Because I need to know if you were like, you know, one of those, we're taking a gamble, we're going out on a ledge here. Here's why I love Golang. No, you can write those. <laughs> no, no. Well, I mean, there's there's an interesting story. So maybe not that direct one, but um, you know, there's this. When I was at Microsoft, there's this person named Ray Ozzy who's kind of like the architect of Azure and, and the whole sort of yeah. cloud strategy. And when I was there, I was on a product that I was at OneDrive and Live Mesh and all these different products and, and interacted with with Ray's team. Um, and then, you know, as Mattermost is kind of starting out, we're trying to figure out like what to do. We're like, oh, Ray Ozzy also was the creator of Lotus Notes, right? So he knows the collaboration space, he knows the software space. So I wrote. Ray a note. I'm like, hey, I've kind of got this project called Mattermost, and it's in collaboration. And um, wondering if you had some time to to get your advice. And then he wrote back, and he was like, well, not only have I heard of Mattermost, um, I've actually read through your code base because I was trying to figure out if GoLang was a thing and if I should use it. And you know, wow. based on your code base, I thought I should. And I'm like, wow, exactly, right? It's like that's probably you know one the 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 most this is Corey said, it's like this unexpected, you know, all these things you don't expect when you go open source, right? Like the, the people that you can influence without even knowing it. Um, and yeah, so that's, we didn't do a blog post on it, but you know, people who were, we, we were actually, I think even now, like there's not many applications written in Golang, right? Like, and there's, in, in terms of open source applications written in Golang, you know, we're kind of at the if, if very, very, you know, top of that, that, um, that, that short list. Um, and React as well, right? Like React Native, um, you know, in terms of a full mobile app that's open source that people can kind of poke on and, and understand. And right. what's amazing now, you know, to, to your point, is it, it kind of comes full circle. So, um, you know, a little while ago, Golang had a pretty significant SAML SSO like vulnerability, right? Where you could bypass authentication in the Golang language. We found that out while we were like reviewing like a library. Like it never actually got into the Mattermost code base, but like we found that out and we got to work with the Golang security team and contribute back. Mm. You know, we spent months doing a coordinated disclosure to like companies, including public companies that were vulnerable. Um, we worked with the the downstream, you know, libraries that were doing the SSO and we could contribute back that way. So it's when you it's amazing to be part of those early communities. In open source, um, but what's so rewarding is we can contribute back. Yeah, and and it it just is good for everybody. It's it's paying it forward both to your community and also people can contribute to your software as well. Where I, I remember at an early startup I was at, we were able to add some extensions to Kubernetes, which are now completely standardized today. But you couldn't do that before if it weren't open source. It would have just been like, this is what you get. And instead, we were able to have all of these different features. And it's it's just great for everyone. And it builds so much trust all over. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Let's dive a little bit into Mattermost, what it does. And I guess, you know, for the sake of this podcast, talk about some of the early adopters, you know, the clients um, either named or unnamed, you know, described sort of uh, roughly where they had a very developer centric culture or it was the software team that was embracing it. Like why would a developer engineer programmer use Mattermost? What do they get out of it that they can't get elsewhere from Slack or Stack Overflow for Teams, you know, some collaboration, productivity, knowledge management tool? Yeah, I think um, what... You know, the whole world has gone remote and like, what does remote development look like kind of remote? And it really looks like open source. It's pretty much identical, right? When you're going to build software in groups completely without a physical location, that is literally sort of the open source way. And there's a lot of teams that just look to open source for all these solutions. Actually, one thing that's, you know, it's like lightning doesn't strike twice. Like Mattermost is, you know, 22,000 stars and growing. But we did this other thing on the side called Focal Board, which is an open source alternative to Asana, Trello, and Notion. That's a 10,000 stars. And it was one, Q4 is one of the fastest growing open source projects in the world. So what we found is when you create open source alternatives to these mainstream products, uh, there's, there's a lot of interest. So Mattermost now includes not only this open source alternative to Slack, but also this open source alternative to Notion, Trello, and Asana. Mm. And we've also got something called Playbooks. I don't know how f- people familiar are with, with Rundeck or Transposit or Fire Hydrant as incident management tools. This really came from our community saying, like, we absolutely need this. So we've got those, an open source alternative to those as well. So what Mattermost does is it's a developer collaboration suite that is supporting DevOps teams in the wild, in remote. And mm. it's, it's all open source. They can see under the hood and they can have an integrated experience across all those different products. And, you know, what we're thinking and what we believe in the future is like the way that you have voice, video and screen share in one thing, the way you've got email, calendar and contact lists in one thing, your collaboration for developers needs to be in one thing, how you instant message people, how you manage projects, how you run incident management. And you know, we've got a couple other things down the pipeline that we'll be sharing out. Um, but it's really like one solution to do all your collaboration to help software teams work better together. And you know, our, our earliest, you know, in terms of customers, um, I think I can share this because it's, well, it's just the truth. Um, in the early days, you know, we have we've got a lot of named customers. We're in the NDA, but th- there's there's um, there's there's wonderful ones there. So I got this call when in the early days of Mattermost, and it was the CIO of the Department of Energy. Whoa! And the CIO of department, and we didn't have a sales team back then, so I was a sales team, and uh, and he's like, "Who are you? <laughs> why are why is why are my teams using Mattermost?" Like, where did you come from? Like, who are your salespeople, right? Are you an agent provocateur? Are you a... uh, A spy. And then he's like, okay, well, well, how do I buy you, right? Like, what sort of... And he talked about this, like, schedules and federal things that I didn't understand. And, like, it was really clear. I didn't know how you could procure. Like, we were... We had a... We could go online and, and swipe a credit card and buy a license key, but we didn't know how to do federal procurement. And he's like, okay, I'll go just... I'll just go figure this out. And it's apparently like you have to have multiple labs in the DOE go and put Mattermost on a special list. They have to do all these security audits. And, you know, over time, they're able to right. procure us. Um, and and that's been Fed wonderful. Man. Exactly. Yeah. And then now we're with, with Fed Results, Kerasoft. We're what's the largest, you know, federal reseller um, in, into public sector. We're all these, all these public sector accounts. But that's it's really about bottoms up ad- adoption. It's like, here's the open source product. And it's available for, for free and it solves your problem and people just go use it. 
Yeah. And then yeah. over time as they adopt it, they'll they'll want to get sort of more of the commercial versions and then they'll they'll bring those in. Cassidy, I'd be curious to get your take on this because I was just listening to an episode with you where we were discussing the challenges of monetizing open source and the folks that you knew from React Redux, um, you know, and kind of the struggles they had. So really curious to hear your thoughts on this and then like why it works here and not in other instances, you know, like how to make this work. Maybe that's, you know, kind of could be useful for our whole audience, but I I would rather hear your take. I I don't know. That just came to mind because I listened to you talking about that earlier today. I don't think there's any one way to monetize open source because they're always so different and, and, it's the classic it depends scenario but what i love about it is that because it is open source it's so easy for developers to just play with it and then because developers like it then it kind of just goes up the pipeline to the point where the cio is saying i want to procure this i want to buy this because clearly the the developers love it and and that access is so easy and i i think with a lot of open source libraries, they might struggle because they don't have a license model or they they don't have a way of saying like, okay, well, if a business is doing this, we, we have to do it this way. It, it definitely is kind of a difficult problem to solve depending on the software that you're making, but that's how you get millions of users. That's how That's how you get tons and tons of people using your software is by making it easily accessible to everyone. And I think we, like, you're totally right. And like, for us, we always like to say, you know, software's adopted, not sold. And we're, we also have a, a distinct advantage in that we're an application, right? So we're an open source company as an application. A lot of open source projects are technology or they're more infrastructure. And I think those, at least from my perspective, would be a lot harder to sell <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> or to have a business plan around or something like that. Um, um, where for us, it's really that model where they, they adopt us, they start using us. Right? And they're like, okay, we should probably, you know, pay for this or buy this or do something or or whatever. And it, it leads into those types of conversations. So I would say the majority of the cases, if not all of them, is, you know, they're already Mattermost users. They're just not Mattermost customers when they come yeah. to us. I love that phrase, the software is adopted, not sold. I think that's a perfect summary of everything. <laughs> yeah, I think there's, so there's a sort of analytical framework, I think, for open source businesses. And there's three ways to make money in open source. You can sell services around it, like support. Mm-hmm. You can host it, so it's a SaaS service. Or you can have an open core model. So you have paid or commercial extensions or enhancements off of the core open source project. So you look at GitLab or HashiCorp. You know, this is, this is as public companies, you can read their investor documents, and, and this is their model is open core. And that's the, that's the model we're in. So, you know, Mattermost is a developer collaboration suite. It's got, you know, sort of an alternative to Slack, an alternative to Asana and Trello. And you, the free version as an application is fantastic if you've got a team for a dozen, couple dozen people. It's everything that you need. And then, you know, at some point, people open up that Mattermost instance and they're like, whoa, there's like 50 to 100 people here. I don't know who these people are. And the developer that installed it is like, okay, well, hey, IT person. This is a shared service. Like I'm a developer. You should run this. It's a shared service that lots of teams are on. And at that point, the the IT person looks at you know our, our pricing list and our packages and they're like, oh, we need the paid version because we need user management and we need these sort of like core compliance and permissions features. And then that's where they they kind of purchase that that commercial version. So that's the open core model. You get an open source and then you have an open core. 
Um, so you have an open source, you have an open core, and then you have the commercial sort of like surrounding. Right. You get them with the governance. I got it. Right. I need to make sure they're authenticating the users. Very cool. What are some things you're excited about uh, for the coming year or that you think developers who are uh, familiar with you, either on the open source side or the user side, um, you know, can look forward to? I mean, I think for us, it's it's really pushing towards this sort of suite adoption place. Like we really think of developer collaboration as as the area we're in. You know, we have Mattermost, what we call channels today, or chat. We have, you know, focal board or boards or project management. We have playbooks. Um, you know, we just recently um, um, started working on things like audio call and screen share. Um, and I just think the more we can bring those pieces together, the more we can give developers like a true collaboration platform um, and how they can interact with, with other, not just other developers, but whatever it is, right? Designers, like... I use the word developer, but I mean it in the most broadest sense of like, you know, anyone who interacts with those types of teams um, and not even necessarily developers. Like I said, we have a lot of uh, like, I think, you know, a large, I think we all, almost all of them are paid customers. But if you do anything in that space exploration pay space, um, you're probably a, a mattermost, at least user, if not customer. And, you know, there they're building things like rockets and stuff like that and hardware. So they're not necessarily developers writing code, but they're still kind of in that that developer collaboration space. And that's. I think for us, or at least for me, is is exciting to get to be executing along that vision and, and dragging that that uh, that ball forward in this space. So. Yeah, I think it's um, just excited about like the market and how it's changing. I mean, there's you know this year there's four and a half trillion dollars that's going to be spent on IT, and the and how much of that spend turns into results depends entirely on how well developers can collaborate. And mm-hmm. that's what we're focused on. We're like, what's the developer collaboration? What are the tools that people need to make that work? Mm-hmm. And we believe very firmly it has to come from open source. It has to come where people are authentically building these things and modifying them and giving quick feedback and seeing you know fast releases. We're solving, I think, the most important problem that that you know. I think we're solving one of the most important problems in the world, which is how to get more efficiency out of that four and a half trillion dollars of spend. And I think open source is the answer. And I'm so excited for everything that can be built in this space. And when that one developer comes in with that idea and implements that feature, it goes out to the whole world that it makes all that better. Very cool. All right. Power to the developers and open source. But you're making money off of it, most important. Let me shout out the winner of a Lifeboat badge, and then we will say our goodbyes. Awarded six hours ago to Diogo, how to call functions from one .cpp file into another. All right, if you want to call from a CPP to another, we got you covered. I am Ben Popper, the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us, podcast at Stack Overflow with questions and suggestions. Or if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps. I'm Cassidy Williams, Head of Developer Experience and Education at Remote, and most recently, Portfolio Partner for Developer Experience at OSS Capital. You can find me mm. at Cassidy, C-A-S-S-I-D-O-O, on most things. Congrats on your VC pedigree. Thanks. That's new. All right. Here we go. Open source will eat the world. Uh, hi, my name is Ian Tian, CEO and founder of Mattermost. Um, you can reach me at Ian Tian on Twitter uh, and, and LinkedIn, I guess. Oh, and IT33 on GitHub. Uh, my name is Corey Hewlin. I'm uh, CTO of Mattermost. Um, best way to reach me is just uh, you can at mention me on our community server. So it's where all of our our community and contributors and staff members hang out. And that's just community.mattermost.com. 
Um, it's a nightly build, so it's really fun to live on the edge and craziness. But uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, several ten ten thousand plus community members sit there, and several hundred of our paid staff. So it's uh, that's the best way to reach me. All right, get in the scrum. Sounds good. Uh, and if folks want to learn more about Mattermost or do a demo or something quick, where should they go? Yeah, to try out uh, Mattermost, go to mattermost.com. If you want to see the ni- most recent nightly builds, go to community.mattermost.com. That's our uh, daily build server, and you'll see the freshest and latest. Awesome. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon.